Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And as uh, Jason confessed making a mistake this morning, I need to begin by confessing a mistake as well. I probably say something wrong every week, but I don't always catch myself. Uh, I realized as I was studying again this week, I had said last week that 2 Corinthians was actually the third letter that Paul had written to Corinth. Well, actually, it's the fourth letter. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, verse 9, uh, Paul refers to a previous letter that he's already sent. So we have 1 Corinthians, which is actually the second letter. So 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and a letter we don't have is 1 Corinthians. You confused yet? Then Paul sent a third letter. Now the third letter he talks about in 2 Corinthians, which is actually 4 Corinthians. He talks about this third letter as a severe letter, a letter of tears. And that's because some false teachers who believe that Jesus got you started, but Moses perfects you. If you really want to be blessed in the Christian life, then you need to follow the law of Moses. Basically, you need to become a Jew. So Jesus was really just for Judaism, and you needed to trust Jesus and live the life of a Jew. And then there was uh, a certain individual in Corinth who was stirring up all kinds of trouble for Paul. He was pointing out all of Paul's weaknesses, all of his illnesses, all of his beatings, all of his shipwrecks, all of his opposition, his thorn in the flesh. And he was saying, people, a guy like this doesn't have any power. If he did, he wouldn't be beaten so much. These false teachers and this man in particular were holding to a health, wealth, prosperity form of the gospel. And since Paul is experiencing anything but health, wealth, and prosperity, you can't trust his ministry. Well, Paul was really broken by that. And he writes 2 Corinthians, which is in follow-up to 3 Corinthians. So we are actually studying 4 Corinthians, even though the Bible says it's 2 Corinthians. And it is 2 Corinthians, because the other two we don't have and they weren't inspired. But the biblical book 1 Corinthians and the biblical book 2 Corinthians, which are actually 2nd and 4th, they are... Are you confused now? Or, or do you actually... The scary thing, are you actually starting to follow me? Uh, so... Paul then writes this letter because he's found out and discovered from Titus, who delivered the painful letter, i.e. 3 Corinthians. He finds out from Titus that the Corinthians really responded and put out that divisive person. Paul uses 2 Corinthians as an opportunity to actually embrace his weaknesses. He doesn't hide them. As a matter of fact, Throughout the entire letter, he highlights them. And he reminds us that it is only when we are weak in ourselves that we are strong. The false teachers tried to make it appear as if if you're strong and powerful and experience health, wealth, and prosperity, then God's going to really use you. But if you're weak and suffering and going through pain... They said, God doesn't use you. And Paul absolutely flipped that on its head and says, when we are weak, then we are strong. Now, Paul uses a particular illustration in our text 
to reveal to us the power of our lives that doesn't come from us, but comes from God. What he's going to be talking about this morning is witnessing. It's, it's our mission statement. Our mission statement is engaging every neighbor with the surprising power of grace. And then we have broken down who is our neighbor over the fence of our neighbor's backyard, over the mountain into the city, overseas to the nations, and even over the pew where there may be people that need to hear the gospel. Maybe they're already Christians and they need to grow more deeply in grace. Or maybe there's people in front of you, beside you, behind you, that don't even know Jesus yet, and they need to hear the gospel for salvation. And Paul says that we need to stop looking to whether we're getting it right or doing it right when it comes to witness, and we need to transfer our trust to God's power. And to help us have a picture of that power, he talks about a Roman procession. Now, before I put up the slide, I want you to think about Super Bowl champs or uh, NCAA football champs or NBA champs or Stanley Cup hockey champs. Uh, We know that in every one of those cases, there's usually a victory parade that celebrates the triumph of the teams, But did you ever wonder where that practice come from? It comes from ancient Rome. When a Roman general was sent on a successful campaign to conquer certain peoples for Rome, when he came back into Rome, he'd come back with his soldiers and parade through the city. Here's a slide of what that looks like. Now, I need to tell you, we're only seeing about half the parade. Uh, half of the parade has always go- already gone by because what you see under the arch are those white stallions and the guy in the robe. That's the victorious Roman general. But before him, there were government leaders that you can't see. Uh, in Rome, especially the Senate, the senators would, would, would lead the charge. And then after the senators, you can't see them either. There were trumpeters and they would blow their horns. You would hear the music of victory. And then after the trumpeters were the spoils of war. In other words, the most valuable products coming from the nation or the people that the Roman general just conquered. It could be gold, it could be ivory, uh, it could be all kinds of materials, but the spoils of war then followed. After the spoils of war, there were flautists, people playing flutes. You'd hear more music sounding the victory. And then after the the flutes, there were white oxen. And those white oxen were going to be sacrificed at the temple of the god Jupiter. Because even pagans understood that if success came in any endeavor, is the result of the gods. Now, how is it that sometimes the pagans understand the work of our God better than we do? Do we pause in every victory or success, or blessing, and thank God, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Then after the white oxen came the vanquished military leaders, or even the king. They were in chains, they were often stripped, they were embarrassed and exposed to shame. And not only that, as they approached the temple, temple Jupiter, those leaders were hived off and executed. So they knew this entire procession was their death march. They were dead men walking. Then after the vanquished came the general that you see. 
And then behind him were all his victorious soldiers who fought with him. And they would shout out, Hail triumphant one! Hail triumphant one! Now look, I'm a Penn State fan. I can't stand Michigan. And you may not be able to stand them either. But the one thing you've got to admit about Michigan, they've got an amazing fight song, right? It's called Hail to the Victors. And I can't even stand singing it. But, but the words are Hail to the Victor. It's the, it's the triumphant song of the Roman soldiers saying, Hail, triumphant one. And then look, you'll see things in the air. That's not confetti. Those are flowers. And people would throw flowers and they would, they would drop and pour out perfume and incense. And that was the fragrance of the victory for the soldiers. They were reminded of the better life they're now going to have as they follow the victorious general. But that same fragrance to the vanquished was a fragrance of death. They knew they were defeated and they knew they were going to be executed. Well, Paul utilizes the picture, the illustration of the Roman procession to remind us that our victorious general king, the conqueror, the Lord of Lords is Jesus. He's risen, he's ascended, and he rules. And he leads us in triumphal procession, especially when we feel weak. We need to remember this picture. That there's never a moment when God fails to be with us and fails to be at work through us, around us, and in us. And nowhere is that more important than when it comes to our mission, engaging every neighbor with the surprising power of grace. Because that is where so many of us feel weak and feel unworthy and feel that we're insufficient. And Paul points to the triumphal procession and says, you, in fact, on your own, are weak and insufficient. But God has made you sufficient to proclaim and live out the gospel. So that's what our text is all about. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow me as I read 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, through chapter 3, verse 6. This is God's word. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. By the way, Troas uh, is, you've heard of Troy, you've heard of the Trojan horse, you've heard of the Trojans. Troas was simply the region where Troy was. Um, It is now northwestern Turkey. So even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Again, Titus is the one who brought the severe letter if you want to, 3 Corinthians, the third letter to the Corinthians. And Paul and Titus were supposed to meet up so Paul would understand and know how the Corinthians responded to the delivery of the severe letter. And what Paul is saying is God opened all kinds of hearts in Troas to respond to Christ. But Paul was so distracted and disturbed by what was going on in Corinth He basically closed down shop. He had an opportunity to plant a successful church. He shut it down and went across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, which is northern Greek. Northern Greece. 
he says, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. There's your Roman procession. And through us spreads the fragrance, there's the flowers, the perfume, the incense, of the knowledge of Him, Christ, everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, the soldiers, the citizens, and among those who are perishing, the vanquished general and king. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, like the Ten Commandments, the law, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. May God bless the hearing and preaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants us to overcome our feelings of weakness, of unworthiness, and of insufficiency when it comes to engaging every neighbor with the surprising power of grace. Let's pray. God, if there's one change I would love to see you accomplish in this church, including my own life, it's that we would be more engaging and more intentional in our witness. God, that we would stop assuming that everybody around us knows Jesus when most likely only a fraction of who we think knows Jesus knows Jesus. Help us to make the gospel clear and help us to be willing to be borne along in your triumphal procession. Teach us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So three reasons why we can witness triumphantly, even though we often feel so weak in our witness. Again, the theme of 2 Corinthians is strength in weakness. This morning's focus, strength in weakness through, strength in weakness through witness. First of all, witness triumphantly, triumphantly because of the power of the king. Paul uses this illustration of uh, the the Roman procession and the, the victorious general king. And Paul is saying we need to stop looking at ourselves, whether we're doing it right, whether we're getting it right, whether we're saying it right, or even whether we feel worthy in our lives to be witnesses. 
And we need to realize that the power comes from our conquering king, not from us. The credit went to the general, and the credit goes to Jesus. But the credit goes to Jesus because he's the one who deserves the credit. Jesus is always at work around you all the time. And he always leads us in triumphal procession. In other words, he always accomplishes through us the fragrance that is a a, a scent of life to some and a scent of death to others. And we're reminded here that even Paul himself blew it. Jason made a mistake. I made a mistake. Paul made a mistake. We all make mistakes. Paul actually left a fruitful field of ministry because he was distracted by Corinth. But he remembers whether we succeed or fail in our own eyes. God always leads us in triumphal procession. So yes, Paul failed to plant a church in Troas where people were very interested in the gospel. But God led him, led him in triumphal procession anyway. And he found out, meeting Titus, that the severe letter he had sent to Corinth accomplished God's purposes and led them to repentance and fresh faith in the gospel. That's why we say our role as followers of Christ in the triumphal procession is to engage every neighbor, Christian and non-Christian. Now you're saying, well, Bob, why would you engage a Christian neighbor or over the mountain, or overseas, or over the pew? Why would you engage them with the gospel? Because the word and message non-Christians need to hear is the same word and message that Christians need to hear. Christians need to hear about the gospel of grace, not to be converted again, but to grow in grace. And for that, you can hope in the power of the King not yourself. Verse 14, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. The soldiers, hail triumphant one, hail to the victor. Every time we worship, that's what we're doing. Every time we worship, we are, we are to see ourselves in the triumphal procession, crying out to God, hail triumphant one, crying out to Jesus, hail to the victor. In our lives, what we do, whether we're in our vocation or we're hanging out where we live and play, it's an opportunity to witness, to simply hail the victor. And as we hail Jesus's victory, God is at work as the King of kings and Lord of lords to rule over all. And remember, What God is saying here in the triumphal procession, every single time we witness, it's successful. Every time. Because God makes it successful to either harden the rebellious, that's still success in God's eyes, hardening the rebellious or softening the repentant. God says every time we open our mouths, King Jesus is there in all his authority to bless. Listen, Jesus as king is why Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. What are the first words of God sending us out into the world? All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go. 
The authority's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to our strength. It's not up to our understanding. There are some basics, of course. But the power comes from King Jesus. Verse 14, and he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We especially need to think about this during COVID. People may be more open than they've ever been. And we need to realize that King Jesus is able to bless our witness. He spreads the fragrance wherever we go. Uh, I'm a weird kind of guy. You guys have said, yeah, we've known that for a long time. Uh, I love fragrances. I love the smell of perfume of various kinds. I love the smell of cologne. I love scented candles. I, you know, that's just who I am. You know, deal with it. Uh, and, and, and when it comes to cologne, there are certain colognes I really like. Now, when I put on that cologne, everywhere I go, the scent goes with me. If I walk into a room, people can catch the scent of my cologne. And some people it gives headaches to, right? So it's a fragrance of death to some, not literally, but, you know, they may wish that I was gone. Uh, but to others, it's, it's a fragrance of life. They love it. <clears throat> it makes them uh, uh, just appreciate uh, life more. Well, as Christians, we have put on Christ. And wherever we go, God the King distributes the fragrance of Christ through us. And he accomplishes his purpose. It either hardens the rebellious or it softens the repentant. And if you understand what Paul is saying, your lives just took on a weightier purpose than they ever have perhaps in your own esteem. Everywhere we go, all the time, to all people. We are a fragrance of life or a stench of death. Not dependent on how we present, but dependent on the ruling king of the universe and how people are responding to him. At Oak Mountain, we use the illustration of an aircraft carrier. Well, we call this church the HMS Oak Mountain. And that's not British. It's not Her Majesty's ship. It's His Majesty's ship. King Jesus. And we're the aircraft carrier as the church. And we, we live our lives throughout the week and we're bloodied and beaten and bruised, knocked down. All the things that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. We experience all those weaknesses and we can't even keep our wings straight. We're on our last fumes of gas and we're all shot up. And we barely catch that catapult that stops us. But then we stop on Sunday mornings, we come to the church and we're refreshed, we're refueled, we're retooled. And then we get catapulted off the HMS Oak Mountain to fly pilot missions of love. Well, with Jesus as our king, we're given the message it says in the text, therefore we are his ambassadors. Now the ambassador has the authority, power, and resources of the king behind him or her. And when we're catapulted off the aircraft carrier as pilot ambassadors, we go in the power of the king, Jesus. 
And he will use us as a fragrance to some of life to life, to some from death to death. So witness triumphantly through the power of the king. Secondly, witness triumphantly through the power of the gospel. Not only are we led in triumphal procession because of King Jesus, but the message we proclaim is hail triumphant one. Hail to the victor. All witnessing is, is talking to others about the victory of Jesus and how it applies to their particular lives, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. So it is the power of the gospel message itself that creates the results that God has ordained. It's not like you have to get it together. It's not like you have to give a perfect presentation of the gospel. Listen, if you're here and you claim to be a Christian, if you say you do not know how to share your faith, then you're either forgetting what you know or you're not a Christian. Look, to, to be a Christian, you need to know basic truths of the gospel. Like, God exists. He's real. He's living. He's personal. He's engaged. He created the world good and right and holy. He created Adam and Eve good and righteous and holy, but they had the ability to sin or the ability to continue on in obedience. Adam and Eve disobeyed. When they disobeyed, the entire universe fell and all humanity was broken because we're born. Actually, we're conceived in sin. We're conceived guilty of Adam's sin. We're conceived polluted by Adam's sin. We're broken, fallen, and separated from God. But God loves us so much, He didn't leave us in that condition. He sent Christ, born of a virgin. Virgin birth is key because Jesus then didn't inherit the brokenness from Adam that we inherit. And Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, went on to live a life of perfect obedience, perfect love for God, perfect love for neighbor. So Jesus lives the life we're called to live but failed to live. And then Jesus willingly presented himself as a sacrifice to God upon whom God will pour out the wrath and anger that our sin deserves. But then the gospel goes on to say it's not enough just to know that rationally. Most people in the South understand all those truths about the gospel and many people are not Christians because it's not just knowing about the gospel it is actually embracing the gospel as your only hope for eternal life so at some time God opens your eyes and you transfer trust from your own efforts your own goodness and you trust in the promise of Christ's finished work and you believe the promise that all God requires of you to be saved is to put your hope and trust in Jesus. To say basically, hail victorious one. Now listen, if you don't know those truths I just gave you, if you haven't embraced those, you're not a Christian. You can't be. But if you're a Christian, then you're telling me, you do understand all those things and you embrace all those things. Therefore, you're a Christian. So if you try to tell me you don't know how to share your faith, either you've forgotten who you are and how you came to Christ, or you're not a Christian. But there can't be a Christian who doesn't understand the gospel. It's impossible. You can't be a Christian if you don't understand the gospel. 
So if you understand it and you're a Christian, then you can certainly share it. And what Paul is saying here is that gospel message is the power. The power's not in you or me, the messenger. The power is in the gospel. Romans 1, verse 16, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Do you realize the pressure that takes off of us? You can't fail. Actually, the only way we can fail is by failing to witness. But Paul failed to witness, and he says, God still leads us in triumphal procession. So there's a sense in which you can't mess up. So live for the glory of God. Then he says, again, we're a fragrance, which is a sweet-smelling perfume or an unpleasant stench. And it depends who's hearing the gospel. And then Paul says again, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be a presenter of the gospel? The message that makes some people come alive and sentences others to hell. Who is sufficient to bear that kind of message? And Paul says, God says, none of us, unless we know Christ, and then God makes us sufficient. And he uses every little, small attempt to engage a neighbor with the surprising power of grace. God makes sure there's fruit born. Because that's the fragrance. And the fragrance has to have an impact. Either to condemn or to save. But it's going to have an impact. There are are only three United States Army criminal uh, investigation labs in the world. Uh, One of them is found in Georgia. Uh, in uh, Forest Park. Uh, It's called Fort Gillum. And uh, the people who work at these crime labs for the army say that you can get the smallest, tiniest bit of evidence from insubstantial, what you would think would be insignificant elements. And those small amounts of evidence can completely transform a case, either leading someone to be acquitted and found not guilty or causing someone else to be court-martialed or even face the death penalty. They, they find uh, uh, lip marks on cigarette butts. They have uh, grains of sand that are found in a piece of clothing. There are uh, all kinds of little things like earmarks against a piece of glass. Uh, They're they're, just so insignificant. Tire prints, um, fuzzy photographs, uh, garbled audio recordings. I mean, things that you would think are way too insignificant to be of any importance. And yet the slogan of these army criminal laboratories is this. Everything, every contact leaves a trace. Every contact leaves a trace. And that's true of us. If we know Christ, we're led in the triumphal procession. And we are in the midst of the fragrance. We become the aroma. And it will always lead to God's triumph. Either God being praised one day for being just and holy and righteous, or God being praised one day for also being gracious and merciful and kind. 
It's a fragrance of death to those who are on the highway to hell. It's a fragrance of life to those who are being saved. So witness triumphantly through the power of the king, the power of the gospel. And then lastly, witness triumphantly through the power of the Spirit. All through this passage, Paul makes it clear that the power of the Holy Spirit is the reason our witness, our engaging every neighbor, bears fruit. If you think about it, the whole reason the Holy Spirit was even given was for us to be witnesses. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You know, they say that 90% of all Christians have never had the privilege of leading someone else to faith in Christ. Let that just sink in a little bit. Nine out of ten, on average, of us in here have never seen through our life and words another person come to faith in Christ. And yet, Acts 1.8, Jesus says the whole reason for the Holy Spirit to be given to us is that we might be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. By the way, that parallels to that we might engage every neighbor with the surprising power of grace over the fence, over the mountain, overseas, over the pew. And if I could ask God to do one thing for us here this morning, the first thing would be that we'd be freed up, that it's not about you, it's not about getting it right, it's not about doing it right, it's about the very fact, the objective reality that in Christ God has made you a fragrance. And wherever you go, by his kingdom rule and the power of the gospel and the presence and power of the Spirit, you can be a successful witness simply by being you. But the second thing I would pray for is that we'd all be lovingly and gently convicted of how, like Paul, we've failed to take advantage of opportunities to share our faith. If, if there was one thing that would mark Oak Mountain moving forward is that the grace of God compels us to be pilot ambassadors catapulted off the HMS Oak Mountain, filled with the confidence that wherever we go, God's at work around us. And that we would let ourselves be the fragrance uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about the false teachers uh, telling Paul that in the Corinthians that he is not sent by God because he has no letters of commendation. He has no resume. When in fact, Paul's response was, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in person sent me. I don't need letters of commendation. But then he says, look at your own lives. Look at how the Spirit of God enabled you to respond to my fragrance in Christ. Verses 2 and 3, you are our letter of Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Please, again, don't forget this. In your opportunities to have conversations with people, 
It's not up to you to convince. It's not up to you to close the sale. It's not even a sale to begin with. It is simply up to us to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to be the fragrance in the triumphal procession of Christ. Verse 4, such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Notice that three times in quick succession, Paul talks about our sufficiency not being in ourselves, but our sufficiency being from God. So the next time you have an opportunity and you feel weak, Yes, admit it, embrace it. In and of ourselves, we are weak. If you're afraid to speak, yes, embrace it. We all go through that. We all experience that. If you're waiting for the conversation to just automatically be zapped into talking about Jesus, it's not going to happen. Okay? We're going to have to bring it up. But God says the Spirit will be behind us doing that. The Spirit makes us sufficient as ministers. Now, some people say, well, Bob, this is Paul talking about being an apostle. I'm not an apostle. I'm, I'm just a regular Christian. The Bible couldn't be more clear. If God's going to change the world, it's not going to be through me. It's going to be through you. God says that so clearly. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. God gifts the church with apostles and prophets and pastor teachers for one reason, to equip the saints. Y'all watching at home, y'all gathered here, my role is to be used of God to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I am the pastor of Oak Mountain, one of them, And y'all are the fragrance that goes out through the week, wherever you live, work, and play. Uh, I listen to national public radio from time to time. I love the stories. There's one program that many of us have heard called All Things Considered, and it tends to go more deeply into just personal interest stories, not necessarily just the news. So like when you have the Republican National Convention, it's not about the politics, but there's some interesting story behind the Republican Convention. And they did this recently. There was a story on a recent uh, Republican convention. It was in a big auditorium. And you know, they pound the gavel to open up the convention. They pound the gavel to close it. And uh, they pounded the gavel in warm-ups and practice and rehearsal. And it, it just sounded wimpy. It, it didn't sound strong. It, it just didn't give the impression or the feel that they wanted the people to experience. And so they wired up this platform that you bang the gavel on and they found the perfect recording of a gavel banging down and they then amplified the sound. And then they wired it when the guy hit the real gavel on the platform, the amplified perfect sound of a gavel, a powerful sound, sound that would get people's attention and and inform people of the weightiness of the moment. 
And sure enough, when they called it to attention, it was this perfect, uh, riveting, focusing sound. And, and that's what God wants us to hear about our witness. In and of ourselves, it's weak. It's impotent. We're insufficient. But God has wired the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Christ and the power of the gospel together so that when we sound forth, the amplification of the Spirit takes over and there will be fruit. Again, fruit meaning some people will come to Christ and also fruit meaning some people will reject Christ. But I want you to leave here this morning equipped with the thought that you are being led in the triumphal procession of Jesus himself. And no matter how small or insignificant you think your witness is, God is using it to accomplish great things. So might we leave this place catapulted as pilot ambassadors proclaiming hail to the victor to everyone around us. And God promises he will always be at work in, around, and through you to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I know in my own life I have missed or wasted so many opportunities to engage with the surprising power of grace. And Father, I know that everyone here has failed in many times to engage with the surprising power of grace. And Lord, sometimes the world even makes us think that we ought to feel sheepish about bringing up Christ. And Lord, sometimes even the church makes Christians feel sheepish about talking about Jesus. But God, away, away with such nonsense. Give us a holy boldness that preaches Christ with new confidence, knowing that you make us sufficient. Lord, if there's anybody here today that maybe that presentation of the gospel that we have to know and believe and rest in to be Christians, maybe, maybe there's some people here that just heard it for the first time. Maybe they had it intellectually down, but they never really transferred trust. God, would you open their hearts? May they embrace Jesus this morning. And may they experience the change from death to life. God, thank you for our church. Use us in this community for many, many more years, should Jesus tarry. We pray this in his name. Amen.